0: Welcome to Unwrap the Pick and Roll podcast presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. Adam Webster with you once again and thrilled to have yet another basketball star from the local NBL competition here in Australia on the show. Uh, We've had a piece written about this individual by my next guest and uh, once again, I'm thrilled to be joined by the Pick and Roll's Tom Hirsch. Tom, thanks for joining me.
1: Great to be with you again, Adam. Thanks for having me on again.
0: It's a pleasure as always, Tom, you've written a piece that our listeners can find at pickandroll.com.au and we have the subject of that piece here today. No, it's not Pascal Siakam, despite us probably wanting to talk about our uh, our NBA club acquiring him during the week, but it is a, uh, a star nonetheless, former Cairns Taipan, Melbourne United Championship player, Australian boomer, He's played in New Zealand, Slovenia, Spain professionally, and he's the current Adelaide 36s captain. Mitch McCarron, I'm interested in, Tom, um, what made you want to write about Mitch? Where did this idea come from? And uh, you obviously interviewed Mitch prior to us talking to him. Um, and how was that whole experience?
1: Yeah, look, Mitch is someone that I've known for a few years um, since he's been back in the NBL And, you know, he's always been a really high level player and he went over to Adelaide on a three year deal as quite a marquee kind of signing at the time to to be the full time point guard. And, you know, he's had some strong showings there, but the results for the team have not been great. And then this year has been particularly challenging for him that they're in last place on the ladder his role has been reduced he's coming off the bench now and really had to make some, some adjustments and and it's really a story that I wanted to explore a bit more as to how he's navigated through that as the captain of the team um and how he's managed to uh, to guess to to help turn this thing around a little bit for Adelaide that they've now won at the time we, we spoke to him three out of the last four games when i first spoke with him they'd just knocked off melbourne united and were about to play the sydney kings and they were hopeful that they were on the cusp of finding some, some better form. So there was a lot to explore because it's, it's never easy when your role changes, when you're used to playing a certain role for a number of years. And then all of a sudden, you know, there comes a time where, where that's taken away from you for whatever reason. Um, and uh, you know, how he's managed to to stay positive and, and maintain that leadership as the captain of the team was, was something I really wanted to just delve into a little bit more.
0: Well, we did certainly delve into that, Uh, the resilience that he's shown across um, his career in Adelaide, his leadership style. Um, We spoke about the spray that he gave his teammates at training that went viral across Australian basketball media. It's not really often that we see the curtain pull back. And I think whenever something like this happens, uh, and Mitch talks about this a little bit, uh, it, it kind of shows that not many people are used to being in the professional sporting locker room and understanding how communication is performed at that level because it, it's snappy, it's quick, it's, you know, um, brutal at times, open, honest, clear, um, and can sometimes be a little confronting for people who aren't used to that style of communication.
1: Yeah, that's right. And look, it, it, it's nothing new for people who are used to that environment. It happens yep. all the time. It's just usually not caught on camera. But when you're in a professional setting, the stakes are a lot higher than just turning up for your your weekly rec league game with your mates, right? So you might have a, a crack at your mates every now and then, but there's a lot more on the line when you're talking about a professional league and when the, when the, the team is really just not clicking and they're not on the same page then as a leader, as the captain of that team, it's your responsibility to try and help to turn that around. And they just had a new coach on board. Uh, And I think Mitch was trying to kind of reset expectations around how that team needs to carry itself, how it needs to, to, to practice, and just put their best foot forward for the rest of the season. And that's what he was trying to galvanize amongst that group.
0: And it's absolutely worked. I don't know about you, Tom, but I've certainly seen a few sprays in the rec league in my time. That's for sure. Probably not quite on the level of that. And certainly uh, the rec league teams that I've been a part of haven't responded as well as the Adelaide 36s have uh, (laughs) done to those sorts of sprays. Tom, you've got the new ball. So you'll be asking Mitch the first question. So without further ado, Adelaide 36s captain Mitch McCarron on Unwrapped, the Pick and Roll podcast.
1: Mitch, I just want to start with uh, with what happened last night because obviously you guys had a quite emphatic win over the South East Melbourne Phoenix, and this comes on the back of some recent renewed form uh, and and much stronger play as a team after a season in which you guys have struggled a fair bit. You knocked off Melbourne United a couple of weeks ago, and everyone was like, "Well, that's great, but let's see what they can do after that." And then you you on the back of that, and this was the day after we last spoke you knocked off the City Kings in really impressive fashion, uh, double-digit win, and that was two in a row. And I know that was really important for you guys. And, and whilst you didn't get the win against Cairns on, on the weekend, you came out last night and absolutely dominated the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix on their home floor in front of a raucous crowd. So I just want to get your take on, on where is this team at at the moment mentally? And and whilst, you know, maybe the play-in tournament is, is beyond... The realms of possibility, just from a mathematical perspective, what what's the belief and the direction within the group right now? Because three out of four is impressive for any team in the league at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's um, I I think it's a it's a sign, I guess, of how well the group has stayed together. Um, you know, we've obviously had our struggles this year in getting consistent wins. Um, but I felt like the group has continued to fight, and I felt like the group has continued to play hard. Um, you know, there's been games where we certainly haven't had that that right energy level as a group. And we've and we've seen that reflected on the scoreboard. Um, I mean, you know, Tasmania is probably the best example of that down there where we were just never in the game. And it just, you know, that was obviously unacceptable as a group. Um, but for the most part, like, you know, guys, you know, we do play hard and, and we try to sit down and play defense and, and we try to get stops. And, you know, our struggles have more come from probably um, offensively. Um, you know, not making enough shots, not producing enough open shots and executing on the offensive end. And then you put so much pressure on your defense. Obviously, if you're not scoring, eventually that wall, you know, is going to break down. So um, I felt like we've had a lot of really good repeated efforts and we're starting to see some wins and out of in some form
1: out of that. And just as a follow-up, like, how did that one last night feel for you guys afterwards? I mean, obviously everything clicked. You had some amazing individual performances, but really as a team, you locked in and you made life exceptionally difficult for them. And I know you've spoken about the importance of your defense kind of dictating how your offense then flows. Um, but how did you guys feel after that win last night? Yeah, it feels really good, obviously.
2: You know, we've had our struggles on the road as well. Um, so, you know, getting one on the road, going back into the locker room and that feeling is, you know, you get back in the vans and everyone's happy and and smiling. Obviously, that's a, you know, a feeling you want. Um, you know more often than we've had this season and, and I think we know we've got some big road trips coming up you know from yeah from a mathematical standpoint it obviously means we can't really afford many more losses if any if we want to lock ourselves into a playing spot so that means we're going to have to win on the road you know you can't just go home and say we'll take care of home games so I think that's our attitude moving forward it's kind of just like we need to bring the same level every single time and that starts on defense you know lock in rebound play hard and then you know we're going to play with a certain freedom on offense because of that
0: you mentioned the game in Tasmania and that obviously sparked a a change in head coach Scott Ninnis came on board following uh that game I'm interested in what your uh impressions are of Scott as your head coach um after a month or so in charge as well as there's a lot of rumors swirling do you guys pay attention to that do you reference that or discuss that as a group or internally about those rumors of coaching is it um even brought up or is it just all business and we'll we'll cut out the noise
2: I think everyone's aware of it, just because everyone has social media and stuff. But as a group, we certainly don't sit down and and talk about it. Um, you know, if you bought into every rumor that goes online, <laughs> you wouldn't have much left for you know actual Basel stuff. Um, you know, we we obviously have, uh, like I said, found a little bit of form in the last few games, and I think the guys are playing hard for Scotty. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the article with Tom, you know, it, it, I don't think he's coming from a um you know over the top technical or analytical standpoint or anything you know it's it's often um, very basic and i don't mean that in a bad way Uh, i just mean you know it's it's the it's the basics that we're we're trying to attack you know transition defense get back match up rebound box out look after the ball and then offensively it's 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 very simple as well you know we are it's 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 kind of obvious i think what we're doing at times and that's okay because it seems to be working for us. You know, everyone knows where they need to be and and the ball's in in certain guys' hands and and they're playing really well with with high usage. So that's been good for our group in the last few weeks against some really good teams. So, you know, if it's working, it's working. Indoor sports are
0: often played on dusty, dirty, or humidity-affected courts. Lack of grip hinders an athlete's performance. To be at your best, choose GripX. Grip X is a new high-performance shoe grip spray using a special locally tested and patented formula. A couple of sprays of Grip X on the soles of your shoes provides athletes with confidence via reliable stability, movement, and accuracy. Used by athletes at all levels and abilities on hardcore sports such as basketball, futsal, squash, volleyball, and badminton, Grip X does not affect natural movements but supports controlled actions when surface conditions aren't great. Grip X is available in five amazing scents including apple, vanilla, and orange. At just seventeen ninety five each, make sure you're ready to take the court anytime, anywhere, thanks to X, Available only online at grip-x.com.au. Do you think at times of turmoil, simplicity is kind of the answer, bringing it back to basics so that guys don't have to, you know, um, think too hard about what they have to do and focus on their strengths? You spoke about, you know, the simplistic approach and how it's obvious, but it's working. Um, teams can't stop you from doing it.
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously, every group's different. Um, You know, they have to make that decision at the time and the personnel that they have, you know, I guess the adjustment that was made was, you know, certain guys like myself have sat more um, and wear off the ball more, Um, you know, the ball's in Trey Kell's hands and he's responded really well to that. He's played really well with the ball and, um, you know, he gets everyone involved as well. And so his numbers are up from that standpoint, but he's definitely found his groove again as a player Um, because of that. I think he's got his confidence going. Um, and then you see other, you know, guys like Isaac Humphries has just had a massive or, you know, month, but especially the last few weeks has just really gotten back to being the best version of himself as well. And then, um, obviously DJ is always going to be a threat. So I think everyone knows that's kind of been our top three scoring threats. Um, but if everyone else is doing their job and our spacing's right, then, you know, other guys will get opportunities as we saw last night, you know, KG was awesome, um, you know, I thought his energy and, um, yeah, his shots went in, of course, but just his energy on the boards and defensively um, has been great for a while now, so it's great to see him get a reward. So it's just, it's just guys just being ready to play. Um, it, you know, everyone won't do everything, but that's okay. If we're winning, then that's okay.
0: Tom, I'll use any excuse to bring up Kyron Galloway on a podcast. I think it's
1: probably the 150th time I've done so over the last couple of years. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Mitch, one of the things we spoke about, um, as part of the article was how challenging this year has been for you personally. And you said to me, it may be the most challenging year you've had as a professional player for various reasons. One, because the team's not been performing well. And then obviously more recently, your roles change and you're someone who started for the majority of your NBL career. And and now you're coming off the bench playing much more limited minutes and and, and a smaller impact in terms of usage. and, And I guess plays called for you and things like that. Um, how have you navigated through those changes and, and the turmoil this season, and, and kind of stayed resilient? Um, and you know, one one thing that we also spoke about was the importance of you kind of staying positive and 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 showing leadership as the captain of this team, and that can't waver no matter no matter what's going on with you personally on the floor. So, how have you navigated through that whole period? Uh,
2: <clears throat> yeah, I guess from my perspective, it's you know, it's, it, it is challenging in in, in the sense that you want to have a big impact. You know, everybody always wants to play, obviously. And, um, you know, I felt like any time that we're having a, a losing season, I'm, I'm probably not going to be, quote, unquote, happy. Um, you know, regardless of how well I was doing individually, it is irrelevant. You know, I want to win. And, um, you know, I know a lot of guys say that, and that's, you know, they're probably telling the truth, I guess. I'd just never be happy. In, in an individual season, maybe I tore it up. I, I wouldn't be happy unless we were winning and doing well as a team because my game, I think, reflects that. Um, getting others involved and, and sacrificing at, at times. So, I guess from the starting standpoint, you know, when I, when I played at Melbourne United, the intention was never really for me to start. Um, you know, we had I was meant to come off that bench and and be the guy that you know filled in for what we needed at the time. Maybe that was a bit of ball carrying. Maybe that was on the wing gutting You know, a, a you know whatever it was, a three man or a two man or a one. Um, And just because of injuries and just because of roster build at the time, I ended up um, starting probably more than that was intended. You know, Casey Prather went down at the beginning of the year, so I slotted back in. Um, You know, DJ Kennedy in my first year, they ended up playing him as a four instead of a three. So then I went to the three. Um, You know, in Cairns, when I was with Fernie, same thing. uh, The intention was for me to back up Glidden and I ended up starting at the three. Um, So I've never really, like, looked at it from a standpoint, like, I'm a starter and I'm going to be off if I'm not. Um, I, I just do. I just want to help the team. Um, so if that's in ten minutes a game, and I'm running around, and I'm playing defense, and I'm not don't have the ball in my hands, then that's just what my role is for this group at the moment. And if we're winning, I'll be happy. How do
0: you main focus and positivity through those challenges? Like, what do you draw on in terms of your own experience or mentors or whatever the case may be to to try and maintain that? Not only the leadership role, which I'll ask you about in a sec, but just your your own focus and positivity.
2: Uh, I think just getting back to the fact that, like, obviously it's more complicated than this, um, you know, in terms of, like, you know, players are getting salaries and, you know, you, you start to add up who should be doing what based on their salary. Um, I, I kind of look at it from the standpoint of, you know, once the, once the team's locked in, um, you know, that team, that group of guys has to get the job done, you know, one through 12. And if that means that, you know, and the best teams that I've ever been on have been like this, you know, if a guy's rolling and he's getting the job done, I'm not salty at him for that, you know, as a teammate and nor should I resent him if if he's playing ahead of me because he's doing really well. You know, I should be happy for him. And and my job now is to try and bring that same level and improve it. Um, so, again, like if we're doing the job as a team, like in the past, you know, we've won three out of four. We felt like we we should have got the one in Cairns without, you know, discrediting them. You know, we kind of let that one slip having another big lead. Um you know, like the group's vibing and everyone's happy about that. So, you know, there's no point looking at it from an individual standpoint and and being down about it because as a group, we're ticking boxes. So, um, you know, I think just getting back to that and realizing that, you know, my role is very different from what it was at the start of the year. Um, But at the same time, if if the group's winning, everyone's happy and, um, you know, winning looks good for everybody at the end of the day. And particularly as the captain of the team, as a leader, that means that you're
0: being a successful leader. I'm interested in what your leadership style is like and maybe who's influenced you along the journey. You've played with some great players uh, and you've ascended to the national level. Um, Where do you get your leadership style from? Is it something that's organic to you? Is it something where you've borrowed from other players that you've, you've played with? And potentially who are some of the better leaders that you've been exposed to that you've been able to pinch things from?
2: Yeah, it's a good question because uh, I've played with so many guys that I could use those examples. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I suppose ones that I really look back to my first year in Spain, um, the captain was Uko Ategi, um, an older guy and um, he was—he just had the group, I suppose, in, in terms of like he had relationships with everybody. And I noticed that from an early, you know, he put time and energy into that. Um, you know, he wanted to get to know people. He wanted to get to, you know, know about what what they liked and um, you know, he treated everyone fairly. Um, and I always thought that was really respectable because, you know, us as, you know, imports would have been easy to just treat as imports, but um, he never did. So um, I was the young guy. I learned a lot from him that year. Um, and for example, you know, I, I would just spend a lot of time cutting on that team in Spain. You know, I was, I was in corners and I didn't have the ball in my hands. Um, but that didn't mean he didn't have conversations with me about, Hey man, like, you know, you can get this back cut here, you know, you can get this, this would be really good for you. It didn't matter how much you were playing. It was still trying to help guys. Um, and I felt like that, that kind of fitted in with my kind of personality as well as I got older, you know, just building relationships with guys and getting to know everybody. Um, I'm not this, you know, alpha leader, who's just going to come out and call out people every single day. It's not really who I am. So if I tried to force that, it just wouldn't look good anyway. Um, So then I guess by the time I got to Melbourne, um, you know, I had a good time in Cairns as well, learning from a few different guys. Um, But then especially when I got to Melbourne, just being around guys like David Barlow and Chris Golding, um, you know, those two very different personalities and two very different people. But just learning from guys like that um, helped me a lot in, in how they go about their business every day as well.
1: Well, one example of really strong leadership, at least from my perspective, that everyone has seen now is the spray you gave your teammates at training last month. And this was only a couple of days into Scott Ninnis taking over. And the way you described it to me was the training session had not been really effective, had not gone well. And you wanted as the captain to let everyone know that that wasn't good enough. And unless everyone wanted to keep losing, things had to change. So I understand those sorts of things happen in a professional setting all the time. And this was no different. It just happened to have been caught on camera, but I'm more interested to know what was the reaction from your teammates from Scott, from the other coaching staff after that spray. And what did your wife say to you when you went home that night? (laughs) Um, My wife was like, Whoa, Um, you know, it's
2: on social media, right? Um, The, I think the guys are all kind of, Fine with it to be honest I it it was one of those things I don't think I said anything you know controversial and like perhaps someone who hasn't been in that environment might might see some of those comments and be like oh whoa what's he mean and try and read into that more um but you know if you've been around professional sports you've been around elite sport you kind of know that like you just have those practices sometimes where guys are just at each other um and it was a time where we really had to galvanize we had to come together um there was a lot of emotion You know, through the last couple of weeks, obviously with CJ getting let go. And as I mentioned in the article, you know, regardless whatever side of the fence you're on with that, it's still an adjustment for everybody. Um, Having a head coach step up and especially someone, you know, like Scott, who has been around a lot, but hasn't been in that head coaching role um, for a while. So I'm sure he had a lot of emotions going into that as well. So, um, you know, it was just from that perspective, um, it was more about just saying, like, this is how I feel. Um, and I wanted to say it cause I felt like I needed to say it stronger than just guys come on. Um, and I felt like everybody just, you know, agreed. Um, you know, I don't think anyone said, you know, you're out of line for that or anyone disagreed. I think everyone just said, yeah, fair enough. And we moved on, um, you know, whether it did anything or not, you know, I can't say, but, um, at the end of the day, I didn't really feel like I got any negative feedback. If anything, a lot of guys came up and said, yep, fair enough. You could do that more often.
0: I'm interested now you're in the middle of a season, so we won't go into depth on free agency, despite that being something that's pending for you. And it's a question that Tom asks you in the article. You can go to pickandroll.com.au to read more about that, but I'm interested in, not in your decision and not in the upcoming decision, but more on reflection of how have your priorities changed since you were last a free agent uh, three years ago. And does, you know, that influence your thinking, What what do you value in your basketball experience now, regardless of, um, where it is and obviously winning is is going to be uh, chief among that but how is how have you changed over the last three years how have your priorities and and what you value changed?
2: yeah obviously um number one is my family um you know i've now got two little ones um you know my wife has been in australia um for a while now and has got to experience two great cities in in melbourne and adelaide so i I guess you know from that perspective you kind of look at it first you put the kids first and um you know i want a comfortable enough life which fortunately enough you know in in australia the majority if not all teams live in good cities uh, are based in good cities sorry so um, you don't have to worry about that um and then secondly, I think it's more just about when the time comes, just having the right discussions about um role and moving forward. You know, I'm a realist, like I'm not, you know, thinking I'm gonna be the centerpiece of any program. Um, you know, I, I understand I'm getting older now and um, you know, from my perspective, I just want to enjoy um my basketball and want to enjoy my role, whatever that may be, and and help a team win and help a program get better. Um, so I guess those conversations will come naturally, but um, yeah i haven't put too much thought into it honestly um you know it's it's more about just trying to grind it out right now and get these wins and um you know make a little plan and push
0: well mitch it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today tom thanks for coming on as well and mitch all the very best for the rest of the adelaide 36 season thanks so much guys unwrapped is presented by fbl fantasy ballers league an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and court wear. FBL's products emphasise a perfect mix of fashion, function and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black and gold colours. From hoodies, jackets, t-shirts and socks to their two signature shoes, the edge in white and gold and the threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. Welcome back to Unwrap. brought to you by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. Head to fblsport.com for more. Adam Webster back with you, and I am joined uh, for the very first time on Unwrap by Ayush Gautam. Uh, Ayush... Thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, we have a important story to cover in the context of podcasts previously that I've been on in the pick and rolls sphere uh, and we will be on later this year as well with the upcoming 2024 Paris Olympics. What did you write about this week?
3: Yeah, just uh, thanks for having me. But essentially, um, you know, after the Boomers won the bronze in Tokyo and then had quite a bit of a letdown at the World Cup afterwards, there's been a lot of chat about what Um, Brian Gorgian's going to go with in terms of the 12-man roster. And so we looked at, you know, what the likely 12-man roster is going to be, who's on the outside. And look, honestly, I think um, in the end, it'll be largely the same squad that we saw at the World Cup. Um, But what what I'm interested to see is how the roles of some of these players will change. There were a few guys I thought at the World Cup were perhaps... A little bit underutilized. Could have seen more playing time. Um, So that'll be interesting.
0: You can head to pickandroll.com.au to subscribe to read Ayesha's piece. I won't um, spoil all of it for our listeners and prospective readers, but uh, I'm interested in particularly some guys that are on the outside looking in. Uh, I want to talk about Matthew Della and I want to talk about Ben Simmons because they're two very popular names in this country. Delhi was left off the World Cup uh, squad that was um, a little controversial at the time. Uh, and then Ben Simmons is a guy that I feel like we have to talk about, even though he hasn't pulled on a green and gold jersey for, you know, 10 more, 10 years or more. Yeah. His name always comes up in these conversations. So before that sort of runs away, I, uh, can't see him factoring into Paris unless he has a significant uptick in form in the NBA and unless he shows a really significant commitment to want to play.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think his health is going to be a huge factor as well. We we've seen in the past when Ben Simmons has been fully healthy, even at the top of his game, you know, making all-star teams, even then he's been very hesitant to commit to the boomers. Yeah. Now, the stage of his career that he's in now you know you could make the argument that um the olympics could be what he needs to turn his career around but i think um the, the other side of that equation is he needs to be fully healthy he's still um he's only just going to start traveling with the nets on their three-game road trip he's missed a lot of basketball um, he's quite he's quite far below his best um, just given his history uh, i think be very difficult to see him playing in Paris and very difficult to see him pay, putting his hand up in this circ- these circumstances. Um, and it's a question of what role he would have on the team as well. I feel like, um, like obviously, I don't know him personally, but I imagine Ben Simmons would want to play somewhat similar to how he did in his Philly days as a primary ball handler type of role. But, you know, like Gorgian ran through... Josh Giddy at the um, World Cup. And then we have Dante Exum doing good things in the NBA now playing off Luka Doncic. Um, so I, I don't know if, if Ben Simmons could step into that primary ball handler role, even if he was playing, it's more likely that um, he'd uh, see, see minutes at the forward position would be my, my assumption. And then, I'm not sure if Ben Simmons himself would accept that sort of role. So there's there's a lot of barriers to him suiting up for the Boomers in Paris more than there have been in, in previous campaigns. So for that reason I I think it's a, it's a bit of a long shot. Um as for, as for Delhi, uh, there, there was quite a bit of pre-season hype around him, you know, the classic um old training the house down cliche. He was in the best <laughs> best shape of his career. Um uh, he changed his diet and everything. And I love the story about how he showed up to the boomers camp after he was reported. The rumor was he was left out of one of the widest squads and decided to show up to camp anyway and try and prove uh, he deserved a spot, which you know, I just love that that speaks to his um, attitude and how badly he wants it. I think, unfortunately for him, he's just in the most stacked position Australia has right now. Um, yeah. At that point guard position, we've got Josh Giddy, Paddy Mills is still around. Exum is, you know, probably one of the more improved players this year. Um, and then the, there's young guys like Tyrese Proctor coming up as well. So I think uh, for for him, it'll be, it'll be tricky to break into a pro point guard spot for the 12-man roster. What I will say is, though, I'd love to see Delhi in an off-court capacity with the Boomers. Uh, I think he he has he has a lot to offer. That he's one of you know the game's uh, most well-known professionals, and uh, the way he goes about training uh, and everything is just he would be a real good off-court leader. I think.
0: Yeah, agree. I, I can see you know Delhi, Patty Mills, Joe Ingles all having those sorts of roles with Boomers teams at major tournaments in the future because they're culture setters. They've set the the uh, the standard at an international level for quite some time with great success. So you reward that by and try and cultivate that by bringing them along on the journey after they retire as well, just as we've done with Andrew Bogart, Luke Longley, others coming through the ranks. Um, I'm interested as well. Probably the, the thing I want to explore is uh, around that lack of change with lineups. And I think a lot of people are used to, you know, league basketball, whether it be the NBA or the NBL or other competitions around the world, where you have the opportunity to be able to tweak your lineup, you have the opportunity to be able to give players minutes and feel things out, you only get so many practice games before an Olympics or a World Cup. And you have to make sure that you're very, very clear on what your rotation looks like, what the roles of your players look like, because you can't have many, if any, tweaks aside from injuries um, occurring during these major tournaments uh, you don't have the the time the court time and the stakes are too high you lose a game and, and you're cooked as opposed to in league play you can have an off week and come back and you know learn something from it in the olympics you're done learning you've got two weeks to prove yourselves and you basically you can't lose a game
3: yeah yeah 100 percent. and australia really felt that last time around the at the world cup you know two two big losses and you're essentially not in the knockout rounds. Um, yeah. And Gorgian, I think was fairly clear about the direction he wanted to take the team in um, that time around. Like he said, look, Josh Giddy, uh, we're going to play through Josh Giddy a lot, which they did. They gave him the keys to the car, essentially teams, primary ball handler. Patty Mills was very involved as he always is. Um, Joe Ingalls was there. I think Jock Landau going down through a huge spanner in the works for him. Um, uh, afterwards, yeah, he was leaning it. on Nick Nick K quite a bit, um, and I just there there are a couple of guys who I wanted to see a little bit more at that period of time. One being Dante Exum, he was in like even before he's had this whole breakout season with the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA. He was doing great things over in Europe, so he's he's completely changed his game in the last few years, gone from being a guy whose jumper was a weakness to now being a guy who. Easily shoots, you know, above 40% from three, can hit them off the dribble, um, can hit mid-range shots. Um, And the other guy was Duop Reith, who, again, with Landau's injury, he was a guy that I really expected to step up, but then didn't see a lot of playing time. And then he's gone on to do great things with the Portland Trailblazers this season, um, having sort of a breakout year of his own. So these are the two guys who I really want to see step up in Paris.
0: It's interesting to me to watch Nick Kay from Tokyo to the, uh, the, the Japan portion because Australia didn't make the Philippines portion of the World Cup and the drop-off in form that we experience there. It's a bit of a worry because you rightly point out in your article that Brian Gorgian trusts Nick Kay and goes to him quite often uh, in the rotation. Uh, and I'm interested because you've got Xavier Cooks as sort of on the bubble of this tournament, and I'm not speaking ill of the B League, it's a you know a world-class competition, but at the same time, if you're not in the NBA, if you're not in the NBL, um, that can, I think, hurt you at an international level because you're not in one of the top two or three competitions in the world. Do you think that there's something to be said for players staying in the NBL or, or trying to apply their trade in the NBA or G League um, and being able to sustain higher form over a longer period of time? Or do you think that's a bit of a storm in the teacup and, you know, Nick Kay, Xavier Cooks, they'll recapture great form. You've given the opportunity for the Boomers.
3: Uh, you, you could be onto something there. I mean, at at the time, Nick Kay did have a great tournament in Tokyo. He was coming off a season with um, a Spanish club, Betis, from memory. Yep. Um, uh, but uh, I'm not sure if that's 100% the root cause. Like, you know, with these with these tournament games, you're always talking about a sa- small sample size of, you know, three, four, five, six games um, over which any player, no matter how good they are at their baseline, can get hot or go cold. But I think that there definitely is an aspect of that uh, involved. Um, I'm not sure if the B League is the best competition to be ready to step up as opposed to the NBL or uh, NBA. And I think another guy who felt that was Brock Modem, who was like in terms of stats, like output wise, he was performing close to the level that Nick K was, but then couldn't get a look in for the boomers. So could be something that Gorgian's already aware of. Maybe he's already starting to factor that into the equation.
0: Yeah, and an interesting test case for Xavier Cooks, who was Australia's leading rebounder in the World Cup, and really, you know, played a role in Jock Landale's absence to um, clean the glass and and had some really really strong stretches, as you say in your article. Hasn't been able to necessarily recapture that level of form in the B League, um, but uh, if we see, you know, the continued form. From the World Cup of Nick Kane if we see a slight decline from Xavier Cooks, there might be something to that. Or you know, both of them could come out and dominate. Um, I'm interested in what your expectation is for this Boomers team heading into Paris, particularly given the star power that's going to be evident in that tournament. We've already heard that you know the US is sending a very very strong contingent of you know superstar players um, that all want you know European endorsement. Um, contracts and and that sort of exposure in that market, they don't necessarily get a whole hell of a lot um, being in the NBA. Uh, we've heard, you know, Joel Embiid, obviously, potentially interested. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo will come back. Nikola Jokic will come back, running uh, multiple-time MVP and finals MVP. Uh, the star power in this tournament will be unlike any other. Um, so with that, weight of expectation coming off a bronze medal in Tokyo. Uh, there's seemingly quite a long shot that the boomers can replicate that at this point.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, like no, no question. The boomers have gotten a lot better um, over the last five, 10 years, at least on paper in terms of having NBA names, but you know, so of other teams, you know, you look at another team we haven't mentioned yet is France, they're going to come through with Vic. maybe not this Olympics, but long-term they'll come through with Victor Wembanyama. Yeah. Um, Killian Hayes is getting better. There's a guy, Zachary yeah. Risasher is getting drafted next year. Alex Saar, still, Alex Saar, still have Gobert on the books as well. Evan Fournier. So look, they're always going to be in the mix as well. Um, never rule out Spain. Serbia, as you mentioned with Jokic, will be very hard to beat. I think given what we did achieve in Tokyo, the expectation will still be to at least compete for a medal. I think yeah. if we missed out, on the knockout rounds again, that'd be a bit of a disappointment. Uh, yeah, especially just the, the names that we have on paper. The amount of NBA talent they've got: Giddy, Exum, Reith, Ingalls, Green, Thibault, um, just Daniels. So many. Like, I don't think we've ever had this many NBA players on the roster.
0: Yeah, I think it's it, the the difference. I think between Tokyo and Paris is. We've got more NBA players, but we don't have as many NBA minutes potentially this time around. I mean, Patty Mills not playing as many minutes. Joe Ingles not playing a you know a strong role uh, anymore. Whereas uh, coming off Tokyo, he was you know still able to to have a really strong starting uh, role. Um, you, you go down the list: Green, Exum, Thybul, Wreath um, is getting a lot of playing time this season. Landale hasn't been able to get playing time. Daniels is sort of in and out of the lineup based on injuries. So um, probably you know, more NBA players, but less average minutes is is the call out for me in this lineup. And it'll be interesting to see how they're able to acclimatize themselves with teams that are fielding, you know, many players with starting NBA talent. Canada is the one that we didn't mention as well. I mean, they were yeah, yeah. lit the world on fire in the world cup and they've got arguably one of the very best players in the world in Shea Julius Alexander. So uh, they have more talent to come in potentially that didn't make the world cup either. So it will be, an incredibly star-studded Olympic Games in Paris uh, this year. will of course, bring you um, all of that news across pickandroll.com.au and Unwrapped, as well as potentially the Podium Pod as well. Um, Ayush Gautam, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thanks for being on the program. But before I let you go, I'm keen on asking you the same question I asked a couple of your colleagues, uh, Hayley uh, and Daniel, last week. How did you get into basketball writing? Tell me a little bit more about how you know came into to this role with the pick and roll your passion for the sport um, and uh, how, what led you to having a passion for writing about oops
3: I think I really got into the scene especially in Australia maybe around the early 2010s it was when Dante Exam and Ben Simmons were coming through they were in high school trying to get into the NBA at that point in time and yep. like back then, that was a big deal because there there weren't many Aussies that had made that leap. At a point in time, it was pretty much just Bogut and Patty Mills at that that point in time. And then, you know, with that wave, you had Ingles that came through a few years later. Aaron Baines, I, I sort of yeah really got into the hype around that whole time. Like always been an um, uh, an NBA fan, but more specifically an Aussie hoops fan with the wave that started with Dante Exum and Ben Simmons. That was pretty much what got me into it.
0: Well, We look forward to having you many times over on Unwrapped. Thank you for joining me and uh, look forward to hearing more about the lead up to Paris 2024.
3: Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on.
0: Episode three is in the books. Thank you so much to Tom Hirsch, Ayush Gautam, and of course, Mitch McCarran. Best of luck with the Adelaide 36ers season. We've got more exciting guests and great stories coming up for you. Make sure you head to pickandroll.com.au and subscribe. This has been Unwrapped, the Pick and Roll podcast. I'm Adam Webster, and I'll see you again next time.